Cashflow Ninja, episode 169 with Bob Murphy. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at how to use the Austrian economic business cycle to weather financial storms. My guest today is Bob Murphy. Bob Murphy is a research assistant professor with the Free Market Institute at Texas Tech. He has a PhD in economics from New York University. And after teaching for three years at Hillsdale College, Bob left academia for the financial sector, where he worked on portfolio management and economic research at Laffer Associates. Bob now is the president of consulting by RPM and runs the popular economics blog, Free Advice and Consulting by RPM.com. Bob has testified before Congress, and he has given numerous interviews on TV and radio. He is the author of hundreds of articles and several books on economic topics aimed at the layperson, including The Politically Incorrect Guide to Capitalism, How Privatized Banking Really Works, uh, which he co-authored with Carlos Lara, and Lessons for the Young Economist. Bob is a research fellow at the Independent Institute and is the senior economist for the Institute for Energy Research, where he specializes in the economics of climate change. Bob publishes the Laura Murphy Report with Carlos Laura and also co-hosts the Laura Murphy Show, available on iTunes. Bob is on the board of the Nelson Nash Institute, which promotes the understanding of Austrian economics and the infinite banking concept. Just a reminder that you can register for our free webinar if you're interested in collapsing time in your financial plan and become financially and economically independent in the next five to 10 years. You can register for this free webinar to show you exactly how to do that at cashflowtactics.com forward slash ninja. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MC Lobsher or by email at info at cashflowninja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at cashflowninja.com or texting cashflowninja to 44222. To ensure that you never miss one of our episodes, you can download our free interactive smartphone apps on the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can support the show by becoming a patron on Patreon for $10 a month. And when you do become a patron, you get access to our private Facebook page where previous guests connect with listeners and you get to access a community of people that are on the same journey as you are, where you can network, share information and ideas, and possibly find a partner for your next business and deal. When you do become a patron, I will also send you a Cashflow Ninja t-shirt. You can become a patron at CashflowNinja.com forward slash support. 
My friend Dave Zook says you can be conventional or you can be wealthy, but you need to pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his company create value for investors looking for higher yield returns from real estate ventures domestically and internationally. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities The Real Asset Investor offers, such as the syndication opportunity at Mahogany Bay Village in Belize or investment opportunities in the multifamily space in the U.S., visit CashflowNinja.com forward slash real asset investor. Gelt Inc. is a multifamily syndicator which has acquired over 6,700 apartment units valued at over $1 billion through a private equity syndication model. Gelt provides its investors with significant cash-on-cash returns while maintaining and enhancing equity invested for the long term. You can reach out to Joss Satin at joss at geltinc.com to learn more. Have you read Rich Dad Poor Dad? Are you interested in real estate investing and don't know where to start and how to get the results you want? For valuable information to get you started, visit JoinOps Properties at joinopsproperties.com. If you want to create an income stream of 8% on your cash or money in your self-directed IRAs within 90 days in real estate without finding the property, fixing it up, finding a tenant, and all the other management headaches, you have to watch the private lending presentation at CashflowNinja.com forward slash private lending. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Can you please share a little bit about your background and your journey with my listeners? Sure. So uh, when I was in high school, I really got into libertarian political theory and what's called Austrian economics, a particular branch of economics. And I said, this is what I got to do for a career. I want to become a college professor and teach this stuff. So I went to Hillsdale College in undergrad, went to NYU, got my PhD in economics. And both of those programs you know, were heavily Austrian in terms of the type of economics I taught at Hillsdale College for three years, and then um, I bounced around and ended up in the financial sector, moved to Nashville working for Arthur Laffer of Laffer Curve fame, um, and then it, I just became a consultant, and so I was in this weird mix of uh, you know, academia and the policy analysis world, like I was working for some free market think tanks, doing you know, white papers and things like that for them, but also you know, in the financial sector. Um, and, and that's just with that background, I, I met in Nashville, Carlos Lara, who was a, a private businessman, a, a workout specialist in terms of businesses and financial distress. And he introduced me to uh, Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. So where I am now is I have a bunch of different hats. I'm at Free Market Institute at Texas Tech, you know, just as an academic economist, but I also am on the board of what's called the Nelson Nash Institute. And so that, you know, it's uh, training, finding, we train financial professionals and teach the general public about how to use uh, dividend paying whole life policies for like cash flow management purposes. And it just, it, it all, you know, all those things, even though they sound like they're disparate, they all related in terms of people, you know, understanding the importance of the free market economy and just taking charge of your own financial well-being and, and sort of realizing the dangers that are out there. 
Yeah, and you guys have truly integrated Austrian economics with privatized banking and the infinite banking. Uh, and we'll touch on that in just a second. Let's stay on Austrian economics uh, for a little bit. Uh, really, really uh, uh, fascinating is the, their business cycle theory. Um, and I think this is something that uh, we've touched a little bit on the show. But if you could really just share a little bit more about uh, the Austrian uh, economic school business cycle theory. Yeah, sure thing. So the first thing for your listeners is the the phrase Austrian economics. That's just because historically the founders of this school of thought were from Austria. Uh, just like you know, the Chicago school now is a particular school of thought that you know doesn't just pertain to to a certain city, obviously or school. Um, so yeah, the the major times of Austrian economics it's very focused on the individual. Um, just trying to explain individual choices and, and actions in that sense. And then they do have, I think, a particular relevance. There, you know, there's lots of different things about the Austrian school and why I went towards it and why I gravitated towards it. But for right now, um, I think their most important contribution and why people need to know about this particular school of thought is their business cycle theory. So it was developed by Ludwig von Mises, elaborated on by his, I guess you call him disciple, Friedrich Hayek, who probably many of your listeners have heard of, won the Nobel Prize for this stuff. And in a nutshell, the Austrian theory says that if you want to understand these boom-bust cycles in the market economy, don't just look at the, at the bust. You know, that's kind of where, like, the Keynesian mainstream focuses on and just says, geez, how come people aren't spending enough and businesses are laying off workers? Let's figure out how can the government or the Fed get people to spend more. And in the Austrian view, that's a mistake. The real problem was during the boom period. That's when the seeds of the bust were sowed. And it's the cause ultimately is that interest rates are pushed below their correct or you might say natural level. And that gives this false feeling of prosperity and this false stimulus, if you will, and businesses start longer projects than really there's adequate savings to finish. And so that's the problem that in a market economy, prices have a job to do. They communicate information. And so if the banking sector pushes interest rates below what they really should be, you're not doing anybody any favors. That's just giving a false signal to the economy. And then the way that plays out in practice is this unsustainable boom that then crashes. Which uh, ties into a lot of what, what's going on currently. But before we get to that um, and looking at what's ahead and, and, and where we are right now, let's take a step back to the last financial crisis because there's a lot of misinformation uh, out there and a strong Keynesian uh, contingent or heavy, uh, opinion that's heavily promoted and propagated uh, across all mediums. Um, can you share a little bit more about the view from an Austrian's uh, view of what happened in the last financial crisis? What were some of the things that contributed to it? Uh, what uh, uh, were the things pushing this bubble wider and wider? And what were some of the factors that it eventually popped? Sure. So some of the, to review the history, if you remember in the late 1990s, there was what was called the dot-com bubble, right? So there were a lot of the, you know, stock market was booming in particular technology stocks, internet stocks. And then that started crashing um, and was exacerbated by the September 11th attacks. And so, you know, the U.S. economy was in store for a, a bad recession in the early 2000s. And so what the Federal Reserve did, and at the time the chair was Alan Greenspan, is it did the standard Keynesian play of slashing interest rates, right? So I think the federal funds rate, for example, was at 6.5%, and they brought it down um, 
to 1% by June of 2003 and held it there for a year. And so what happened is this fueled a housing bubble, and there were lots of other contributing factors, but the Austrian view is that the Fed pumping in money and having interest rates being very low, and we're not putting words in their mouth. That's the Keynesian prescription. They're saying, yes, cut interest rates to goose spending. And so the Austrian point is that, okay, but just trying to get people to spend more, and in this particular case, you know, the spending went into the housing sector, you're not doing anybody any favors by just replacing the, the dot-com bubble with a housing bubble. And, you know, the story fits pretty well. And by the way, this isn't just, you know, ex post fitting the data. There are plenty of Austrians on record during the housing boom years saying this is going to blow up in our faces. This is not going to end well. This is unsustainable. Um, to pat myself on the back, I've gotten plenty of things wrong. Don't get me wrong. But in, uh, what was it, October of 2007, I had an article using Austrian business cycle theory saying this could be the worst recession in 25 years, right? So that was 11 months before the financial crisis hit, All right? So this, you know, Austrians were in real time warning about this. So the, yeah, the basic idea was they, the Fed pushed interest rates artificially low. That made interest mortgage rates come down. People went into housing this time, but that was unsustainable, because those those uh, interest rates weren't correct. And then when the Fed got nervous and started raising rates, so in uh, mid-2004, the Fed started hiking, and they tried to give a soft landing. And, and remember, Greenspan was called the maestro and stuff. People were amazed early on about, oh, he managed to, to spawn a housing bubble, you know, or boom, even, you know, so the recession wasn't so bad. That's great. Good job, Alan Greenspan. And the Austrians were saying, no, this is gonna this is going to come back to bite us. And, you know, the Austrians, I think, were clearly right in, in that score. So, so the, that's what we think the basic picture was. And then Bernanke just did the same playbook, but times 100 in the financial crisis of 2008 and going forward. A Keynesian like Paul Krugman, for instance, was saying, yeah, they should blow up this the, the housing bubble. You know, yeah, we should stimulate the growth and have people spending, spending again. Uh, one of these uh, other wisdoms was also uh, that em- economic growth would be spurred by an alien invasion. So there's a lot of things coming, <laughs> coming from him. Right. But there were a lot of folks on the Keynesian side that said this was a great idea at the time. Yeah, and I mean, for your listeners who don't know about the, you, you know, you're not putting words in this, but let's go Google Paul Krugman housing bubble uh, replace, I think the NASDAQ bubble or dot, or dot com bubble. And again, you're right, early 2000s, Krugman literally, he was uh, endorsing somebody else said it, I forget who it was, but some guy like, a, you know, a writer for a hedge fund or something came out and said that, and but Krugman was clearly endorsing it saying, yeah, what Greenspan needs to do right now is replace the dot com or the tech bubble with a housing bubble. And then, you know, of course, people were, were ridiculing him later, you know, years later saying, whoa, good call, Krugman. And he was trying to, you know, distance himself from those remarks. And I'm going to know that's not what I meant. But, you know, it's, it's clear. And it's, it's not just that he said it, but that clearly flows right out of the Keynesian mindset that, yeah, the reason that there's a recession is because people aren't spending enough. So how do you get people to spend? Cause another bubble that, you know, in their mind, that's what the issue is. And the Austrians are saying, no, our model of the economy is much more sophisticated there's a, a structure of production. There's interlocking capital goods. You know, there's various processes of different lengths. The stuff all has to mesh. And you don't fix a bad economy just by getting people to go spend more. Or like you said, you know, again, people, if you think you're putting words in your mouth, go Google, go to YouTube, say Krugman alien invasion. And you'll see that, yes, during the financial crisis and aftermath, it wasn't his first option. Krugman would have wanted the government to spend money building bridges and building schools and stuff. But he literally said, if if we could 
fool people into thinking there was an alien invasion when really there wasn't, and governments around the world built a bunch of weapons that we then didn't need, that would be better than nothing. You know, because again, in the Keynesian mindset, that the problem is there's there's inadequate spending, and so to get governments to relate, you know, to loosen up and spend, even because of some bogus alien invasion threat, that's better than these you know these crazy right wing Republicans who are worried about balancing the budget right now. Right, right, and I mean it's just kind of insane where we're at right now. Um, to to tie in uh, into the present, trillions of dollars over. I haven't even checked it because it's. I mean, it just keeps going up. But so far in debt, no balanced budgets. Um, so, uh, but let's tie into the reaction to it was a bunch of bailouts, money printing uh, to get the the economy back on 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 track. Uh, share a little bit more of what is leading up to right now and where we are right now uh, in the economy and global markets and uh, what are the bubbles uh, that, that we're seeing out there right now? Okay, sure. So, uh, the, so the problem was, that, as people know, the, the crisis when it hit in the fall of 2008, one way of describing it or one aspect of it was there were a bunch of investment banks um, and other financial institutions that were holding mortgage-backed securities and or they were holding like the credit default swaps issued on those things. And, you know, so just people tied to where when people, when the housing market started collapsing, so you had people who had bought a house and they didn't have the income to make the mortgage payments and they were just speculators. And that was fine when housing prices were rising. Because then, you know, if you couldn't stay in the house, then you just could sell it and you'd be fine, walk away. Or even the bank could kick you out and then they would take it over and it'd be fine because, you know, they would have more than enough collateral to pay off the note. But once housing prices started crashing, all of that, you know, that business model went out and then that's where the pain kicked in. And so these mortgage-backed securities, which were just like securities that had like a thousand different pieces of mortgages in them, now all of a sudden those are in jeopardy or the people who issue credit default swaps now, uh-oh, and they were getting collateral calls and so on. So that was the crisis. So one of the ways the Fed dealt with that is the Fed started buying up mortgage-backed securities, and they also started buying treasuries. And so you know you can look at the Fed's balance sheet, you know, during all those rounds of what was called QE, quantitative easing, and just chart the S and P 500 index against the Fed's balance sheet. And for a long stretch there, the, the connection between those two it's eerie how how those things moved hand in glove. So that was the, the sense in which I w- was warning all throughout those, you know, the Obama years basically saying, you know, this, the, the boom in the stock market here is artificial. This is because the Fed's buying up assets and that's not the way to prosperity. Um, so now the, the problem is the Fed's wanting to tighten. They're, they're trying to unwind to get out of this, but they sort of painted themselves into a corner. And so um, in the latest Laura Murphy report, which is a publication that Carlos Laura and I put out, we were just talking about that. And this, you know, we're not sure yet, but it looks like the strategy is regulators are going to try to put pressure and other inducements on financial institutions to take on more treasuries and more mortgage-backed securities because, like, that'll help them with their capital requirements and other regulatory requirements because the Fed doesn't want to just dump that stuff. You know, if the Fed needs to shrink its balance sheet, they don't want to just dump all these mortgage-backed securities and treasuries because that will make interest rates spike. It'll cause a crash. And so it looks like what they're trying to do is figure out a way to induce private financial institutions to take on all these bonds that really, I think, have been overvalued because of the Fed buying them. So I think the stock market's overvalued. I think the dollar's overvalued. I think treasuries are overvalued. 
Um, last thing I'll say, and I'll, you know, I'll turn it back to you, which way we want to take the conversation. But having said all that, I think Europe might actually be in worse shape than the U.S., so it wouldn't shock me if Europe crashes first, which perversely would make the dollar strengthen in the short term if everyone flees the treasury. So I'm not saying the next six months treasuries are going to go down. It's, I'm just saying long term, I think that, yeah, they're, they're in an unsustainable thing. As you say, with all the debt that's been right. One last statistic. There were four years in a row under the Obama administration. And of course, you know, Congress is the one that spends the money, but you know, he was the president at the time where the budget deficit was over a trillion dollars. Okay, I mean, there's plenty of countries that don't have a GDP that high, and the U.S. government was borrowing a trillion dollars or plus per year for four years in a row just to give people an idea of how much profligacy there was. But because interest rates were so low, we didn't really feel it. It was like, you know, getting 0% APR balance transfers on your credit card debt. You don't really feel it until, you know, those offers end and all of a sudden the interest rate spikes. You're listening to Bob Murphy on the Cashflow Ninja Podcast. We will be right back after a word from our sponsor. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. You're listening to Bob Murphy on the Cashflow Ninja podcast, and now back to our interview. Yeah, and let's you touch touched on Europe. Let's talk about the health of the banking sector, because uh, I've been watching that for quite a while, and I'm just amazed that Deutsche Bank seems to still keep its head above water. Uh, and the Italian banks, I mean, there was a little bit of a, a lot of shenanigans going on there, quote unquote, secret bailouts in, in one shape or, or another. But what's your view overall just on the ba- banking sector, the health of it? Um, and more specifically, you mentioned Europe, some of those European banks. Sure. So I, I haven't seen the figures you know, fairly recently, but yeah, I mean, there was a period where the Italian banks like their, uh, the percentage of their portfolio of loans that were non-performing, I mean, it, it was in the double digits. It, it, was, it was higher than the, what had happened in the U.S. during the height of the financial crisis, because I don't remember the figure off the top of my head. But, I mean, it, it was astonishing the, the situation they were in, and yet it looked like it was just that the ECB was, through various means, you know, doing things that were – at least prima facie, uh, totally against their chart. Like the ECB wasn't supposed to be able to do that stuff, but they were kind of doing it anyway, just bailing out certain governments. And, and that was what was keeping the whole thing afloat. And then the Fed in turn had all kinds of dollar euro swaps going on with the ECB to sort of keep the euro from blowing up too. So, I mean, there, you know, these, these crises would come up and then the, the central banks would, you know, sort of clamp down on them and then the crisis would pass. But it, you know, it's, it's not a, a stable fundamental situation. And I think, you know, we saw the Greece and, you know, Cyprus and all these things hit and then people kind of just move on with their lives and forget and say, Oh, I'm glad that's over with. And, you know, I, I don't think they've solved any of the underlying problems. I think they're literally papering, papering over them in the sense of when a crisis comes up, the central bank just creates money out of thin air and tries to put the fire out. But I think eventually that, you know, they're going to stop being able to do that, that, you know, investors are going to say, okay, you can't just keep doing it. And I think that's what's happened with the U.S. So with, with Yellen coming in, I do think that was like a regime change. She oversaw the so-called taper 
And actually the Fed's balance sheet has been flat since like the fall of 2014. And so, you know, I, I do think central bankers are trying to tell investors, okay, you know, we're done printing money every time the stock market dips. Now we're serious about tightening, but again, it's, it's a tricky situation they're in because they don't want to just sell the assets because that'll crash the financial sector. Now, back to the U.S. In the U.S., we've seen a little bit of a Trump boom uh, since he's gotten into the into the White House, and a lot was driven about the the tax reform that was promised, infrastructure spend, uh, health care reform, uh, besides his other policies such as immigration. None of that have, has really come to fruition or has been enacted. Um, do you see this boom lasting? Does he get any of this done? Uh, what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, so here, I mean, this, I'm just speculating. I think what happened was, you know, when he first, so <laughs> I think Americans were shocked that he went, I was certainly shocked. And, you know, I think even a lot of Trump supporters didn't really think he was going to win. They just were saying, I can't stand Hillary Clinton. I'm going to vote for this guy. And then they were very pleasantly surprised at the, at the, at the outcome. I think that's kind of, but I mean, you could hear people like, I'm, you know, I was listening to NPR and these, these sort of mainstream news outlets, and they were like literally in shock election night. They could not believe he won. So, and I think you can see within futures markets of the you know, U.S. markets were, it looked like they were going to crash the next day. And then all of a sudden they flipped and started booming. So my big picture is I think it initially was a, a shock. And then people were kind of like, well, you know, he's talking about cutting taxes and stuff and trying to be Reagan. And maybe this guy actually, you know, and, and deregulation, maybe, you know, he's a businessman. So I think that's kind of what happened is that it went from for a while, he was like this joke to all of a sudden he's the president. And then, you know, but you're right on, on issue after issue. And there's various explanations for what happened, whether it's because he was bluffing the whole time or just, you know, the opposition from entrenched into who knows, but yeah, he's not gotten stuff done. So I, I do think a lot of the, well, and the other element too is compare if you, if, if, if equity prices had been, you know, pricing in a Hillary Clinton presidency with all the kind of environmental EPA stuff she was going to do and tax hikes on the rich and blah, blah, blah. You know, just to say doing nothing for four years compared to what you thought was going to happen might make, you know, an adjustment of profit expectations. But I think that's obviously all played out by now. So to answer your question, yeah, I I think there was a short-term boost because people actually thought there might be some pro-growth reform but on issue after issue, people are more and more thinking that's not going to happen. And, you know, now people are wondering, is he even going to be in office six months from now, you know, with all these scandals and stuff. So uh, my long-term negative view on like the U S stock market, for example, is still in place. Um, especially because yeah, it doesn't look like he's going to be able to get a lot of this stuff done, whether it's his own personal failings or because of, you know, people opposed to him. Either way, it doesn't matter if the issue is just, you know, is there going to be huge tax reform right now? It doesn't look like. Now, some of my listeners out there might think, okay, you know, this, this has been a great discussion just around the, the business cycle and what really happened, uh, where we are right now, some of the trends that we're seeing playing out. Um, you and Carlos have, you guys put together a pretty, excellent presentation on how to weather the coming financial storms in which you discuss kind of a three-step process and plan 
for people to uh, protect themselves uh, from this uncertain uh, times that we're going into. Uh, now, you discussed a little bit about building up a stockpile of currency, buying gold and silver and holding it physically, and also uh, setting up an alternate warehouse for the remainder of your wealth. Can you touch uh, just on those three points a little bit for my listeners out there? Right. So the, the video is archived at laramurphy.com. That's L-A-R-A-Murphy.com. Um, you can see it's news up. But yes, yeah, so and this was a thing we put out uh, last fall, but I, I'm still, you know, stand behind the stuff we said in it. So you're right. We we explained, you know, sort of like you and I have been talking about our, our pessimism about the overall health of the economy and why, you know, people who have their money all in the stock market via 401ks or 403bs, like that might, you know, not be the best place for your retirement funds. And uh, yeah, so our three things were, you know, we're worried even about the, the health of the banking system. So we were saying, don't just trust you. Oh, I got FDIC backing up my checking account. That that might not, you know, come up, that might not be there for you. Right. So yeah, we were, um, the time frames differ from individual, but big picture, we were saying, yeah, that we thought people should have a month's worth of actual currency, you know, like literal cash, you know, in a vault in your house, just in case you can't access your checking accounts if there's a, if there's a banking panic. Um, depending on your preferences, let's say six months worth of actual precious metals in case, you know, the dollar takes a big hit, you know, that will help you weather that storm. But then for your cash flow, you know, even so you still need dollar flows. And so we thought um, opening up one of these dividend paying whole life policies structured the way Nelson Nash talks about in terms of the, what's called the infinite banking concept, that that was the, the way for your, for your needs in terms of things that are denominated in dollars, that that was a much better warehouse for your wealth um, than some of these more traditional uh, so-called safe havens that we actually don't think are that safe now. Right. And we've discussed the Dodd-Frank Act on the show as well, talking about the safety of of deposits in bank banks and how the, the banking system and the relationship of banking has changed. So definitely need an alternative place to, to warehouse your wealth uh, in uncertain times. Now, Bob, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new subjects and learning new skill sets. What are you currently studying and what new skill sets are you currently learning? Uh, well, I'm, I, I, I'm traveling a lot. I've doing a lot of road trips lately. And so instead of just listening to music or whatever, I've, I've realized, oh, I, I should be loaded up on podcasts. So I've been trying to broaden my horizon, listening to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Just, you know, um, Jordan Peterson is on my radar now and just reading his stuff. Was like, he's just merging lots of different fields together. And I'm trying to also listen to, you know, I, I always, when I go online, I, I read perspectives of people who differ from me. I very rarely read people that I agree with a hundred percent because I figure I already know where I'm coming from. So I, I just try to, you know, uh, expand my horizons that way. Um, so yeah, those are the things that, but, but yeah, for me personally, I realized I have a, a gaping hole in terms of, of history. And so I've been trying to just, you know, to, to fill in the gaps that way and, and to get more of a historical background since a lot of this stuff, you know, it's, it seems new to us, but we realize these patterns are there beforehand. And so it's better to see, you know, how, what happened before. Absolutely. Now, core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, uh, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Okay. Uh, 
Well, one is, you know, I'm, I'm personally a Christian. So of course, if I'm telling my son, you know, what to do, I would, you know, say, make sure you're, you're following what God wants. And that's the most important thing. Another thing is just the importance of honesty. And I think people don't realize, I mean, how much we lie every day. We, we come up with justifications. Oh, well, you know, I couldn't tell that person. That you're, and I really think people just, you know, even just being honest to yourself, you know, will, will really help in that regard. And the last thing, uh, is just to uh, to not get overwhelmed by feeling, you know, getting paralyzed of inaction by thinking there's too much stuff going on and just to, you know, real simple, but tell myself, you know, come up with a list of things you're going to do today and, and do that and not worry so much about, you know, the big, like just keep your head down and, and you know, hit these, the, the things, what can I do right now about this and not worry so much about problems that right now are, be, are beyond your influence. Now, Bob, how how can my listeners learn more about you, uh, your podcast that you that you you're doing? That's uh, fantastic, and stay informed of all the projects that you're involved with. Sure. Um, as far as the stuff you and I have been talking about, the best website to go to is that LaraMurphy.com. That's L-A-R-A-Murphy.com, where it has all information about the things we've talked about. And yeah, the podcast in terms of just a fun exposition and discussion of economic issues of the day my podcast with Tom Woods called Contra Krugman, where we take on weekly Paul Krugman's op-ed in the New York Times, Krugman being a big Keynesian. You know, that, that's a pretty lighthearted, but also I hope informative podcast. So that's Contra Krugman and Krugman's with a K, ContraKrugman.com is where people can find that. Excellent. Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and uh, knowledge with my listeners and providing so much value for them. Uh, it's been a blast connecting. All right. Thanks for having me. This is MC Laubscher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Alhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and professionals build their wealth outside of Wall Street and help investors maximize the use of every dollar in their personal economy and boost their investment gains. We do this by combining the capital and investments with the financial vehicle of the wealthy according to the infinite banking concept. If you're interested to learn more about privatized banking and the infinite banking concept, you can access an exclusive webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Thank you for joining my guest, Bob Murphy, and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. We still have a couple of seats left. They're filling up really fast for our webinar where you can learn how to collapse time in your financial plan and become financially and economically independent in the next five to 10 years. You can register for the free webinar at cashflowtactics.com forward slash ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life. So if there's any way that I can provide more value for you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja Gashku newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text Cashflow Ninja to 44222. You can also support the show by becoming a patron on Patreon for $10 a month. And when you do become a patron, you get access to our private Facebook page and that awesome Cashflow Ninja t-shirt. You can become a patron at cashflowninja.com forward slash support. 
Geld Inc. is a multifamily owner which has acquired over 6,700 apartment units valued at over $1 billion through a private equity syndication model. Banking on the renter revolution amongst millennials and baby boomers, all-time low home ownership rates, and a major shortage of well-located apartments at affordable price points, Gelt has provided its investors with consistent cash-on-cash returns while maintaining and enhancing equity invested for the long term. For more information on how to achieve sustainable yield for the long term, you can email Josh Satin at josh at geltinc.com. Smart investors know that the banks actually don't own most automatic teller machines. In fact, the opportunity for private investment provides stellar passive returns, figures in the double digits, with the added bonus that most of the income is tax-free. Who wants to walk blindly past an ATM and not cash in on that opportunity? ATM machine ownership brings you a steady stream of hands-off passive income. Dave Zook and the Real Asset Investor team have been providing opportunities for investors in this uptrending activity of ATM use. If you're an accredited investor and would like more information on how you can invest in this exclusive asset class that very few investors will ever have access to, sign up for your free webinar on how to create income streams from ATMs at cashflowninja.com forward slash real asset investor. Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to become financially free. They have designed a system to take any beginner to an experienced deal-making investor in the least amount of time. They offer opportunities from basic education, coaching, bridge loan investing to turnkey investments in the cash-flowing market of St. Louis, Missouri. For more information, please visit joinopsproperties.com or call Jimmy and Bob at 314 799 2247. If you want to create an income stream of 8% on your cash or money in your self-directed IRA within 90 days in real estate without finding the property, fixing it up, finding a tenant, and all the other management headaches that comes along with it, you have to watch the private lending presentation at cashflowninja.com forward slash private lending. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning in the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. You have been listening to the Cashflow Ninja with your host, MC Laubscher, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Today's show notes and resources are available on our website, CashflowNinja.com. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objective, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness. 